0: Today, I want you to join with me in the reading of the scriptures that will be the basis for today's sermon. And again, in, in um, remembering that this is Pentecost Sunday, I will be reading it as well in Tarahumara, which is the language into which we are translating the scriptures um, at this time. And so uh, we will read Genesis 2, 1 through 3. <coughs> So the heavens and the earth and everything else were created. By the seventh day, God had finished his work, and so he rested. God blessed the seventh day and made it special, because on that day, he rested from his work. And now in Taraumara, it says, It says, a the breeding of his word thanks be to god thanks be to god Thank
1: you, Dale. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. We're going to take a break from our series in 1 Samuel um, to come back to another series that's been ongoing, which is the first Sunday of every month we've been talking about a particular Christian practice. And today the practice we're going to talk about is the Sabbath. Uh, can you imagine uh, introducing yourself to someone and saying, "Hey, how are you?" And someone saying, "Yeah, I'm really well rested. I'm just, I'm just full of rest, and I'm not anxious about anything that's going on in the world. I have tons of margin." Sabbath is a wonderful thing to talk about um, because, like all of these spiritual practices, it teaches us most of all something about God. So, when you talk about scripture reading, what you learn about God is that God wants to speak to you, God wants to reveal himself to you. When we talk about worship, coming to worship, what we learn is that God is worthy, He is beautiful. He is worthy of our worship. Prayer teaches us that God doesn't just like to speak. He wants to listen. God is the best listener. And he wants to receive from you. When we talk about solitude, what we learn is that God is good company. You can spend time with him. God is a good friend. Fasting teaches us that God is enough for us. And what does Sabbath teach us about God? It teaches us that the rest that your soul longs for, it is found in him. He gives rest. First a story. A pastor is sitting in the backyard of a friend's house, and the friend is an admiral in the Navy, and he spent his whole life as a military professional, and he describes to the pastor a phenomenon, the difference between men who came home from World War II and men who came home from the Vietnam War, two very different wars. And people's experience coming home was very different as well. The men coming home from World War II came back to parades. They were very healthy. The the drug abuse rates among those men and their families were very low. PTSD rates were low. Spousal abuse numbers were low. They were happy after the war. And they had lots of babies, And you're surrounded by them. They're called baby boomers. It was a very good time. You compare that to the Vietnam War. It was a very different experience. Uh, The Vietnam vets came back from war and more often than not. um, There was drug abuse and addiction. Those rates skyrocketed. Spousal abuse rates skyrocketed. PTSD and suicide rates among veterans skyrocketed. It was a time of one of the worst heroin epidemics in history. And you look at those two wars and you say, what was different? There was a lot of things different. All, there wasn't a good war. All wars are bad. Um, but the Admiral had one theory about at least one factor. That led to the difference. He said to the pastor, when the Vietnam War ended, men got on planes and they flew back home. And within three days, they were back in their living room with their families and their kids. But the men coming back from World War II, what did they do? They didn't fly home. They came home in ships, taking two months to cross the Atlantic Ocean. And what did they do over those two months? They cried, and they told their stories. The faithful prayed. They wept. They took a breath. They stopped. The admiral said, That was one of the biggest differences between those two wars, the chance to rest. When I think about what's going on in our culture right now, I can't think of a better metaphor metaphor, because honestly, we are a time in history when no one has the chance to rest or takes the time to weep and breathe and process How many of you have found a way to get onto Twitter and not be depressed? I am usually off social media, but because of um, the rise in mass shootings and some of the things that were going on globally and culturally, sometimes I feel as a pastor, I got to dip my toes in in the cultural ooze to see what's going on. And man, I got on Twitter... And I haven't been in therapy for a while, but I really, after one day, I thought about calling my counselor and saying, we need to get the band back together (laughs) again. You read the statistics, and I read this statistic this week. One-third of teenagers, so one-third of teenagers every night stop sleeping to check their phone, to look at social media or TikTok or whatever. One-third. And we wonder why anxiety rates among teens are high. We don't rest. It's the 24 hour endless input. And it's killing us. I don't need to say anything more about it because you feel it in your bones. We're tired. If you're honest with yourself, you're tired. Who's tired? Okay, and even the people who aren't raising their hands, they're just too tired to raise their hand. They're like, I don't know. I'm just too tired to raise my hand. I want to offer hope this morning. It's the the hope of the God of the Sabbath. I have often, people fall asleep during my sermons. And people think that that bothers me. There are things that bother me. I won't tell you what they are, but falling asleep is never one of them. It always makes me smile because I think the church of Jesus Christ should be the one place where people can find rest. And he offers us rest this morning, it's a rest that he offered to the world at the very beginning. It goes back to Genesis, like the first couple pages of the Bible. And we heard it read. I'll read it again. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done. In creation, it's the first Sabbath. It's just describing the first Sabbath, and we see the um, we see in the language here what the Sabbath is all about. God rested on the seventh day. He blessed the seventh day, and he set it apart and made it holy. And we're to follow his lead. We're to enter his rest by refreshing ourselves, um, by receiving his blessing, by worshiping him. Rest, blessing, and worship. That's what the Sabbath is all about. Here we go. Sabbath is first of all about taking a day of rest. The word Sabbath comes from the uh, Hebrew word that just means to stop to cease. It refers to doing nothing related to your job or vocation for a 24-hour period each week. And it said that God rested. Was God tired? Why did he rest? He rested because he was setting up a pattern in creation that he wanted us to follow. God is a worker. He works. His spirit is working now among us. And you are made in his image. You are a worker. And in mo- he models for us, almost like a good parent, what our relationship between work and rest should be. And in doing this, he built a rhythm into the DNA of creation, a tempo, a, synchronate, a synchronated beat. You can go back to... To Genesis one, you can read about it. This is what it feels like. Day one, work, rest. Day two, work, work, rest. Work, rest. Work, rest. Work, rest. Rest, rest, work, rest. <laughs> it's something built into creation itself. And when we fight that rhythm, um, we fight, we go against the grain of the universe. And to quote the philosopher H. H. Farmer, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. Interesting thing: the last time a society attempted to abandon the seven-day work week was uh, the French Revolution. They tried to switch to a ten-day work week to ramp up productivity. Viva la révolution! And what was the result? Disaster, the economy crashed, the suicide rates skyrocketed, and productivity actually went down. It's been proven in study after study, there is zero correlation between hurry and productivity. In fact, once you reach a certain number of hours of work each week, your productivity plummets. And you want to know what that number is? 50 hours. Ironic. That's about a six day work week. It's almost as if God knew what He was doing when He made stuff and you and the rhythm between work and rest. I'm just trying to say that this stuff is baked into creation itself. When we fight our need for rest, we fight God, we fight our own bodies. And we fight our own souls. I think we tend to underestimate the importance of rest to our spiritual condition, the health of our soul. And so Donald Whitney in his book, Simplify Your Spiritual Life, says that sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is take a nap. And he goes, amen. And he goes on to say this. He said, God made us a unity of body and soul, and one influences the other. When your soul is either happy or discouraged, it can affect, or happy or discouraged, it can affect something as basic as how your body looks and feels. And when your body is exhausted, it tends to dampen the zeal of your soul. And then, the, the, in fact, fatigue often weakens our resolve against temptation and provides excuses for anger, lust, and other sins. I wonder if we realize how much our fatigue affects our holiness, how much our fatigue affects those around us. For example, how does it affect my wife to know she is coming home to a tired and cranky husband? Or to be home with a husband who is home but not really at home? He's back at work. You are physically present, but your mind, your body, your soul, it's just somewhere else. You know, one of the interesting thing about the Sabbath commandment is that it's clear in Exodus and in Deuteronomy that the Sabbath isn't just for you. And so we read in uh, Exodus 23, for example, six days you do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey and your manservant and your maidservant and your kids can rest so that they may be refreshed. It's not just about you. And it's just not about offering others around you rest. It's about offering them a rested soul in you. And so the Sabbath is about actually giving yourself with a rested soul to the people you love. So I have kids, and you know what my kids want? More than ice cream, more than another episode of whatever they're watching. They want me. Nothing puts them at ease more than having all of me. Even your animals get rest on the Sabbath. I took Lucy and Olive for a walk yesterday. I'm like, I have Sabbaths for you, girls. Let's go. It's for everyone you love. Have you ever thought about how your rest affects the people around you? To be good stewards of our souls means we're good stewards of our bodies. Stewards of rest. But he didn't just rest. God blessed. He blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Two things worth noticing here. First, the Sabbath is blessed. In the Genesis story, three things are blessed by God at the beginning. He blesses the animal kingdom and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And then he blesses humanity and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And then he blesses the Sabbath. Well, God... God blessed animals to be fruitful and to multiply and be pro- to produce. He blessed humans, and that makes sense because they can produce. But how do you bless a day? Well, if you follow the logic, it means that just like an animal or human being, the Sabbath has the life-giving capacity to procreate. To fill you up with more life. If you let it. Life is tiring. And you get to an an end of the week. And even if you love your job. You're still depleted. Emotionally. Spiritually. And the Sabbath is where we go. Not just to get physical refreshment. But where we go to fill our souls up, not just to rest, but to receive the blessing of God so that we can go back into the world full, not just to negatively stop, but to fill up. And so a great question to ask for the Sabbath is what can I do in this 24-hour period that will bring me delight? not for hedonistic purposes, but because the world that God has given me is good and I need to be reminded of it. It's one of the things that God did before he rested all of the seven days. He created a day and then what did he say? It's good. That's good. Oh man, I made, look at that sea, that's good. Look at the sun and the stars, everything that God made was good and he took the time to recognize it. And so I was thinking about this, have you have you ever had a Georgia peach? Is anyone here from Georgia? No. No Georgia. Jo- yes! <laughs> yes! So we 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 were driving back from South Carolina. We went. My family went to South Carolina with my in laws, and we're still a family. You can travel with your in laws and still love one another. But it's a seventeen it's a seventeen hour trip, and Barb, my my mother in law wanted to stop to get Georgia peaches, and in my heart of hearts, I was super frustrated because uh, I seventeen hours. The kids are in my car. I'm like, I do not want to stop. But we stopped in Georgia. I'm like, what can be different? What can be different about a Georgia peach? And then we got home and I took a bite of the peach. And it was like the, it was like the kind of peaches where the juices are so much, well, you got to take a shower after you eat (laughs) the peach. It was such a good peach. I, I took a bite of the peach and I said, if if someone takes a bite of a Georgia peach, there's no way they can be an atheist. (laughs) How could you eat one of these and not believe in divine goodness? Taste and see that the Lord is good and all of that. But it's exactly, it's exactly what Paul was saying in the book of Romans. He says that the invisible qualities of God have been written into his creation. And the point of all that is that God made peaches as a love letter to us. And so many other things. Creation is good. We pervert it all the time. But it is good. And we need opportunities to relish in its goodness. In our world, where we're connected all the time to, to the tragedies of this world, we are constantly connected almost like by an IV to the brokenness of the world through our news feeds, where we get these high definition Images of dysfunction and sin and heartache and brokenness and pain. And if we can't find a source of joy, if we can't stop and see and recognize what is still good in the world, how can we not have compassion fatigue? When we don't take time to celebrate and delight... We feel bad about everything, and we're not able to love anything anymore. But when we stop to feast and restore and renew, when we take in the beauty and hope of the age to come, we we fight the antibodies of brokenness in the world. We have to learn to delight in all that God is and to take account of his wonderful gifts to us. So, we were in South Carolina, and um, our first day there was vacation. And my dad has polio, he broke his leg, he's been in rehab. And uh, I was scheduled to go on vacation when he was scheduled to go home from rehab. I thought about not going. But he wanted me to go. And so I went with my family on vacation. But when he got home, my dad is a very brave man, very courageous. He worked very hard on his rehab. He's been in a scooter full-time for a lot of years. And it was just clear when he got home that he could not make the transfers that he needed to, to the, the places that he needed to go being at home was so stressful for him and mom. And so my brother calls me on the phone and I'm on speakerphone with my dad and my mom and my brother and we're all crying and we're in tears because dad has to go back to rehab. And I'm trying to walk them through. I'm, I'm praying with them. It's very, very painful. It's very, very hard. And I just get off the phone and Kate says, Kate's my wife. She's amazing. And she says, what do you need? And I said, I don't know what I need. And she said, well, what if you go out and swim with the kids in the pool? What if you play with the kids? And I went outside, grumpy and sad and broken. But I got in the pool <laughs> with the kids. And I saw kids in the pool. Now with their dad. Playing. Playing with the Nerf ball, which had dissolved because of the water. And it doesn't throw well, but they were still so happy to be in there. And I spent two hours in there with them. And that is exactly what I needed to do. I needed to play. I needed to play with the Nerf football in the pool with the kids' time. And that wasn't escapism. That was fighting back the darkness. Sometimes what you need to do, parents, is actually play. Like with the, the cars and the toys and the stuff on the floor. Or eat the peach. He, he set it apart this day and he marks it with a special purpose. God rested and he blessed. And then he made it holy. He made it holy. Um... The, the word holy just means to, to be set apart. And it's the language in the scriptures that speaks of worship. It's temple language. So that when he sets this day apart, he's setting it apart for worship, as a day of worship. And that doesn't just mean singing or going to church, though it does mean that. But it means giving God our hearts, spending time with him, doing what we need with the Lord to nurture our souls, to remember who he is, what he's done for us. Time where you think about eternal things. Times where you think about Jesus, where you thank him for everything that he's given you. You worship him. You love him. I'm going to point out a really nerdy point to you. A Bible nerd point. So on the day when Adam and Eve were created, what day were they created, Bible nerds? Day six. That's right, gold star. Boop. (laughs) So what did Adam and Eve do on their very first day of existence, day seven? Rest. Rest. In the plan of God, you start with rest, and then you get to work. It's the first image of the gospel in the Bible. Some of y'all believe in a message that says, if I'm going to be somebody, i got to accomplish this thing. i got to get this work done. If I could just get my body right, if I could just lose five more pounds, then I would find rest. If I could just achieve this or get this or I need to stop this. I need to stop looking at porn, I need to stop sleeping around, I need to stop drinking too much, then if I could just stop doing those things, then God will love me. If I have to do this, or get this, or stop this, then I will find rest. And that's not the gospel. That's fake good news. Humanity, before they did anything, were given the rest of God. And when humanity broke down and decided not to rest, not to live with God in relationship, that rest, that gospel rest, is something that God gives us again in Christ. Christ is the Sabbath rest of God in the flesh. And the good news of Jesus is that before you do a lick of repentance, while you were still an enemy of God, Jesus died on the cross for you. You don't work to get the rest. You rest in what God offers you. Rest, rest, and then you work out of that place. There's work to be done. Some of the millennials in the room need to be told there's work to be done. Man, there's work. But the work does not bring God's goodness. Grace brings rest. And rest brings work. Sabbath is a weekly reminder that we are not what we do. Rather, we are who we are loved by. Sabbath and the gospel scream the same thing. We do not work to get a place where we finally breathe in rest. That's slavery. Rather, we rest And breathe and enjoy God. And enter into the rest that he freely offers to us. And then we get to work. And it just makes me think, where do you go to find rest? If you actually have the day where you have hours, finally, hours, margin, how do you spend it? Think about where our communities try to find rest. We try to find it in our vacation. Kate and I came back from vacation, and you know the first thing we did—we went. When you go on vacation with kids, it's really not a vacation anyway. So you start planning the next vacation. But we don't need another vacation. We try to find rest in all kinds of. We try to find it in our gated communities. We return to an old addiction. We watch. We just binge watch the show. You finally find another show to binge watch. But think about how do you feel afterwards? Energized? Like as good as that show is, it just doesn't have the resource to provide rest for your souls. And often, the ironic thing is often the things that we plunge our lives into when we're actually given time and margin take rest from us. So travel, sports on weekends that rob us of the local and religious community we need to tell us about Jesus. Season of blank on Netflix, which just, I don't know, it just keeps us in the shallow end of the pool. Relentlessly checking social media, which cultivates envy and erodes compassion. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Is there time to worship? Is there time to journal? How do you connect with Jesus? Have you created space for that time on the Sabbath? Because he has the rest we need. In him, our conscience finds rest in his forgiveness. In him, we find rest from our trials because he sympathizes with us in them. With his love, we are restful in hard circumstances because we know that he will ultimately get us where we're going concerning our past we rest in his love as to the present it is bright with his loving fellowship and as to the future it is brilliant with the idea of his expected return and the kingdom he will bring with him where do you go from rest? Do you think about those things? Do you ponder those things? Do you treasure those things in your heart? What we receive from Christ is the, tre- the rest that we truly need, the rest for our souls. So how do you, what do you do with the Sabbath. Well, I don't know. There's got to be some kind of boundary or rhythm around work and rest. And you need to bite into a Georgia peach every once in a while and engage in some play. And you need to love Jesus. I can tell you this, man, when it comes to actually having a 24-hour period of time, Kate and I are trying. We're bad at it. Our Sabbath right now goes from six p.m. on Friday night to 6 p.m. on Saturday night. And I'll just tell you a few of the things that we do. The first thing I do is I turn off my phone. How many of you guys have a phone? I was at the beach. The beach in South Carolina. There is an ocean in front of me. Glorious, majestic, powerful. And what's everybody doing? even the old people they're just doing it slower and it's the ocean it's the ocean man turn it off your brain needs rest your friends need a rest from you they don't need to attack you know, your enemies need a rest from you you don't need to check social media Just give the world some rest. Give yourself, take off the thing. The next thing that my family does, we have young kids, and so we pleasure stack. We just, like we have, we eat really bad. Really, we do everything that we want to do that is not sinful. (laughs) And we indulge, because I want my kids to, when they think Sabbath, I want them to think awesome. And so there's this ancient Jewish tradition where the father would get up every morning before all the kids so he could wake them up and give them a spoon of honey on the Sabbath so that they would always remember the sweetness of God's rest. Maybe it's not honey from you. Maybe you shake up the whipped cream bottle and just spray it in their, <laughs> spray it on their faces and just be like, the Lord is awesome. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Um But then you have I just journal and I take a long walk and I take account of things and I stop producing and sometimes I cry about the stuff that I've been carrying and I talk to Katie and I pray. And I just exist in God's presence, who is always there offering me rest. He offers it to you this morning. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a God who gives rest. That you baked into creation this loving provision of the Sabbath. You are the God who literally created the weekend. You are the God of rest. And we, we do everything we can to run away from you with our broken hearts. But today you call us back to yourself. And you say, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We desire soul rest. Would you help us find it in you today? We give you praise and thanks. In Christ's name, amen.